Hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week, your audio almanac of all the fish. It's Monday, February 14th, 2022. Happy Valentine's Day. And this year we're excited to take you on a week-by-week tour of fish across the country with guests from all walks of life. I'm Katrina Liebeck with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. And I forgot my intro just like I forgot it was Valentine's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Better go to the store, get a quick Viking helmet and some blue face paint or my lady, she's going to be mad. (laughs) Hurry up there. Let me welcome our guest, Georgia representative and board member of the North American Native Fishes Association and a bluehead chub enthusiast, Michael Wolf. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. I'd really like to know what these fish look like. I mean, they've got a name that kind of explains it. I think the name matches pretty well. But can you describe what these fish like if you were to see them in the stream, particularly when they're in their yeah very colorful phase? Yeah, right. So... First of all, the bluehead chub is exactly what it sounds like. I mean, a lot of people know the word chub as being a, a fat kind of minnow or a, a relatively round, robust kind of minnow. And that's, in fact, what they are. They're large for a minnow. A lot of people might think minnow is a, a small fish, like three or four inches or something. But bluehead chubs do get to be relatively large, nine, 10 inches or more in the wild. They vary a little bit across their range. In North Georgia, where I'm from, they're sort of a brassy colored minnow in general, but quite literally in the springtime, the males, the entire head of the male turns a really bright sky blue kind of color. They develop breeding tubercules on their heads. So you've got this very, again, relatively large minnow in the stream with a bright, bright blue head, oftentimes with orangish tinged fins and these breeding tubercules on their head, which sort of look like... uh, small horns or, or large bumps on their forehead. Those are super cool. I love, I love those. They're, yeah, they're also called nuptial tubercles, right? Yeah, nuptial tubercles because, I mean, nuptial, they're, they come out in the breeding season. And so springtime, these fish go into, into spawning mode. And so they, they begin to put more and more of their effort into either attracting a mate, as the males are trying to do sort of uh, almost the harem in a way, or females are searching for a place to spawn, a place to lay their eggs. So the males do that by, well, creating such a place. A lot of people think about animals that are great parents. They think about birds building a nest. They think about, you know, the way the bird parents are feeding the baby birds. And everybody's seen pictures like that. Fish are equally great parents. The bluehead chub is, in fact, an amazing parent. In fact, an amazing community builder. Bluehead chubs are master architects. So when a blue chub gets to be that big, maybe a 10-inch long fish, his head's almost as big as a golf ball and bright, bright blue. And he goes around, he starts picking up stones, round, smooth, relatively speaking, smooth stones out of the riverbed, and he starts putting them in a pile. And it's not a little pile. It's a huge pile. I've swam and snorkeled with bluehead chubs, and sometimes these chub mounds are literally three feet across and a foot and a half or more deep, almost to the point of coming out of the surface of the water, taking up a majority of the stream bed in some streams. Because I sometimes these fish are in pretty small streams. I've seen bluehead chub nests that were two or three feet across when the stream was only four foot across. And then pretty soon, and I mean, it's amazing how fast you can gather a bunch of fish in a stream. Studies have shown actually that other fish are attracted not so much by the visual of the stone mound, but actually by the auditory of stones being dropped on top of each other will attract attention of other fish in the stream. And they all come and want to see what's going on. 
So they, they see what the master architect is building. Pretty soon he's got this great pile, this great pyramid of, of stones, and a variety of fishes become to come around and start gathering around or behind, a lot, a lot behind actually. Females tend to tend to kind of sneak up behind on the downstream side and sort of rest or, or just kind of hold position calmly behind that, that stone mound that the male has built. Bluehead chubs, in addition to being the river architect, are in fact master hydrologists. They are placing this nest in the exact perfect position to capture the flow that's coming in the stream and to modify that flow for their purposes. They do in fact spawn right on top of this pile of stones and then their own eggs fall down into the pile of stones. But not only does it work for the bluehead chubs, other minnows in the stream, other fish in the stream show up and spawn on top of chub nests as well. In fact, there are several different species in any given stream and across the range that are known to spawn on top of chub nests, some of which actually only spawn on chub nests. So if there's no chubs in the stream, then there's none of these other minnows. And minnows are super important. So we want to make sure we're taking care of those chubs. It's an amazing diverse group of fish. Absolutely. So you mentioned that they know the perfect spot in the stream to build these nests. And I'm wondering what constitutes the perfect spot. If someone like me were wanting to go out and maybe try to find some of these fish building their nests, what kind of water would I be looking for? Well, first of all, you're normally looking for clean water, relatively clear water. A lot of these fish are actually sight feeding. It's amazing that some studies have been done to show that most minnow species like this actually don't eat things that are in the water. They do eat things that are in the water, obviously, but they don't eat, they don't eat like water bugs. They actually eat terrestrial insects that fall in the stream. Something like 80% of their diet is things that fall into the stream very naturally from, you know, plants that are overhanging the tree canopy above and, and beside the stream. So you've got all these terrestrial insects that fall into the stream, and that's what these bluehead chubs are eating. That's what a lot of the river fish are eating. And so what's important to them in many situations is to be in a spot where the river is flowing and bringing that food to them. So you'll actually see a lot of times when fish are sort of oriented, facing into the flow of a stream or a river, they're facing into that flow, sort of waiting for their next meal to be delivered. If we're talking about kind of East Coast streams, what is the range of habitats they're in? And I guess how important is it that it's like a forested stream versus like agricultural or urban? Are there some connections there? So bluehead chubs are just one of a species of chubs in the genus Nokomis. And so there are actually Nokomis chubs all over the eastern seaboard, mostly all above the fall line, actually, on the, on the Atlantic and on the Gulf Slope, though. mostly all above the fall line. It is very important that the water be clean. Again, the idea of putting the eggs in the chub nest is for the stream to flow through the chub nest to continue to clean them, to aerate them. So you have to have a well-aerated stream. You have to have relatively clean water. You have to have good tree canopy is mostly a good riparian zone on a stream like that. Not only does it keep the water cooler, cooler water holds more oxygen, but it also provides some of that terrestrial insect fall in the stream. So that is really critical. And then the last thing that's really critical is we've said a couple times interstitial space, right? Well, if you get too much sediment buildup in the stream, that can be the worst thing for a chub net because then all those interstitial spaces get filled up. 
I went to school down there in Athens, and they, they do get a lot of sediment pollution from building roadways and homes. And one thing that is really cool about the Chub, I think, is that it's really able to build this habitat on which it can spawn. You have some of these other species of shiners and leucicids out there that when the habitat's gone, it's gone. But then sometimes you got these Chubs where you can be walking in a stream that's really sandy, and I don't know where they're finding these rocks, but they somehow they find a few rocks there in the stream and then they just build them all together to build a suitable spawning habitat. And I just think that's really fascinating. And they will search. You're absolutely right, Guy. And they will search uh, rather far distances. I have, uh, again, snorkeled with these fish, laid in the streams and watched what was going on, seen actually chubs build mounds. And they don't just pick the stone up from a foot away because they're a, a 10 inch long fish. They actually, you can see them swim off. I've seen them swim off to where they disappear and it takes them 20 or 30 seconds to even come back to where they're at. And they do that and they come back with one stone. And again, talking about hundreds or thousands of stones that might be in a chub mound. And they're going and collecting those one at a time from wherever in the habitat they can find them. I would imagine, like you're saying, if the stream got so impacted with sediments or whatever, they might have a hard time finding those stones. But if there's if there's stones available, they will they will find and bring them. And I have seen chub mounds, like you're saying, in really sandy habitats where obviously the chub has gone somewhere to go get all of those stones. That's crazy. Imagine the manpower that would take being a human and carrying stones like that underwater. That's just Absolutely. pretty amazing like, physical I mean, feat. It's like, I mean, a translation, this is like carrying bowling balls. Yeah. These are stones as big as their head. So this is Carrying bowling balls around. With your face, too. In yeah. your mouth. In your mouth. Until you build an apartment complex big enough for the whole neighborhood. <laughs> That's awesome. Fish are awesome. Talking about habitats. One time I made this video about bluehead chubs and when I was filming it, I noticed that there were multiple males hanging out on a single nest. Was that, do you think, due to a reduced number of stones so they could only build so many mounds, you know? Or is it a common behavior even in streams with lots of stones? I have seen that. I don't know whether it's because of uh, habitat or uh, suitable raw materials, kind of as you're saying. I think some of it is this idea that they're master hydrologists and, and they're picking the best spot in the stream. and so the best spot in the stream is only so big. And so you'll get another male showing up in the same situation. I've actually seen a couple of times multi-lobed nests where the two males had built a nest so large that as the conical nature, the, the pyramid of stones begin to almost overlap at the base, right? And so each male was there and they were jockeying for position. They do battle and nuptial turbicles, as Katrina mentioned before, the horns on their head, so to speak, they use them just like a lot of other horned animals use their horns, and that is battle, male-to-male -male battle. They do butt heads at each other. They do push at each other and push themselves and push their competitors, let's say, out of habitat. They are actually battle horns as well as nuptial horns. Right on. What happens to those once once the spawning season is done? Do they retain those or what, what happens? No, they're a lot like deer antlers. I mean, if you're a North American nature kind of person. Uh, most people know that deer antlers fall off and grow back every season, right? Chub tubercules are the same way. They do in fact fall off the breeding season. So in the summertime, you'll see uh, sometimes chubs and you can see a tiny little 
I have scars is probably the wrong word, but that's what they kind of look like. You'll see tiny little scars or marks where the tubercules used to be, but they're no longer there. Their heads are smooth. They kind of fade out of color too. So the head of the fish goes back to being sort of that same brassy gold, yellow, whatever kind of color that the back of the fish normally is. And, and he loses that, you know, uh, nomenclature, right? The blue head goes away. Now I want to go shed hunting for chub tubercles. Little tiny collection. <laughs> Maybe you can keep one in an aquarium and, and find them when they fall off. I have kept bluehead chubs in aquariums. They're actually excellent aquarium fish. Oh. They start small. They grow great. And they live a long time in a, in a captive environment. And they're not nearly as aggressive as some other chubs. You know, like a creek chub, if you know anything about the biology of creek chubs, creek chubs are omnivores and they have a relatively large mouth than anything that goes in. Um, so they're not the best tank mates for anything smaller than them at all. Bluehead chubs are a lot more conducive to keeping in an aquarium because they're not quite as aggressive feeders on other fish. They're not nearly as piscivorous as, as say, a, a creek chub or something. Gotcha. Is there anything folks should know in terms of keeping fish in aquarium settings? Are there any kind of permits or just things they should think about before going that route? Sure. There's a couple of things. The first thing to know is that it, the law is very state to state. So step one, stay legal. And what does legal mean? And that's a, that's a hard question sometimes, depending upon where you are. Here in the state of Georgia, where I'm at, it is in fact legal to take non-game fish as long as you're doing other things correctly. So you have to have a fishing license. You have to take them in an, in an approved methodology with appropriate equipment and things like that. The other thing that's really important to know, obviously, is you've got to be watching for your threatened and endangered species, right? Because those are not legal to take or not legal to harass in any way. So you've got to know your fish before you kind of go out and do that. It's probably not a good idea to just jump out into the stream and net up the first things you see. For a lot of different reasons, that's a bad idea. But Aquarium keeping of native fish is, in fact, a great thing. In fact, it's part of NANFA's mission, appreciation, study, and conservation. And I really like that as a, as a three-pronged approach because I think they feed on each other. You have to appreciate what's out there before you can even know that there's something cool enough to study. And then you have to study something and learn about it before you can begin to really understand how it might need protection or conservation. One of the other core tenets of NANFA talks about the responsible husbandry and being able to maintain species that are, that are native here to North America. Uh, for some reason, people think, you know, tropical fish are so cool, uh, but look up a picture of what a bluehead chub has looked like. There's nothing more cool. Not to mention all the saffron or yellowfin shiners that show up on there. Absolutely. And the funny thing about that is all the, all of the most brightly colored, interesting Shiners, like you were mentioning, Guy, saffron shiners, yellow fins here in Georgia, even rainbow shiners uh, and, and other things that are just, you know, people who know anything about southeastern fishes know about these groups of minnows that are so crazy, brightly colored in the springtime. Almost all of those are chub nest affiliates. If I wanted to go see that kind of firework of colors on a chub nest, what are some tips? Where would I start? I'm living here in Alaska. I'm going to go to the Southeast. What am I going to do? And when should I go? Yeah. So, well, the when you should go is really important, right? We mentioned before how fish can build nests and kind of be like birds and you can do bird watching. You can do fish watching too. Some people do that. I do a lot of fish watching. 
actually underwater. I snorkel in a lot of these places and, and actually get in the water with fish. But you can do a lot of it from the stream bank as well. Any place that you have relatively clear water, any place that's a medium-sized stream where you can see across the width or you can see down the depth. And again, what you're looking for is those nice flow spots. Chubs particularly, right, are not going to be in the stagnant areas. They're not going to be in the deep pools. They're going to be where the water is flowing. You're going to need to go in the springtime. That's when the chubs are nesting, building their nests, and you're going to be able to see nests. You're going to be able to see fish on nests. A lot of times when you walk up onto a chub nest, you're going to identify it visually first by the nest itself, not by the fish. The fish see you coming, and a lot of times they'll zoom off, and it'll take a minute of you standing really still before the chub will actually come back to the nest. A lot of times you'll be able to see maybe a flash of other color with the other uh, nest affiliates swarming around, so to speak, the chub nest. But you're really just going to be walking around and looking for You see a pile of stones about golf ball size or smaller that's piled up in the riverbed. Those didn't get there accidentally. And that's not a normal flow kind of thing. In fact, I've seen situations late in the season where the, the chub nests are eroded by the river flow. But early in the spring, as the river's flowing, the chubs are going to build those nests up. You can just walk down the riverbank and you'll see the pile of stones. That may be a chub nest. If you'll pause, if you'll wait, if you'll get down low is the other thing that I've found. One thing that's really funny, if you're walking in a stream or walking beside the stream, fish are scared of anything vertical. I don't know why. Maybe we all look like herons. I don't know. But fish are afraid of anything that's tall and upright. If you get down low or you get snorkeling with fish in the stream, they don't see you as a threat anymore. And they immediately come up and get curious. They want to see what's going on. They want, they want to see how you're changing the water flows or how you're changing the substrate or how you're stirring up something that may be good to eat or whatever. And you'll see the fish come up and almost greet you. They want to come up and see what's going on. I've seen, it's kind of strange. It seems like the females all hang around behind and the male chubs sometimes hang around right in front of, of, a, of a chub nest. And by behind in front, I mean relative to the current, the flow of the stream. I've been snorkeling in streams where there appeared to be no fish. And, um, there just wasn't much there, and I didn't know why there wasn't much there. The habitat looked suitable, things, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I started picking up stones and making my own stone, making my own pile. And again, fish come from everywhere to see what's going on. Cueing hmm. into that. There's a, there's a big auditory component. You know, we don't see big Dumbo ears hanging off of any fish, but uh, there has been a lot of study that apparently fish do hear really well. They sense those shock waves that become noise in the, in the water. So we've talked a little bit about snorkeling. Is there a microfishing community around chubs and the species of chub in particular? And, and are there any, I guess, tips or cautions on when to fish for them? I'm assuming maybe thinking about like what they're doing in their life cycle and making sure not to disturb certain key events for them. Sure. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the rules are or if there really are any since uh, chubs or bluehead chubs or, or any of the other Nokomis chubs really are not game fish in, in anybody's regulation. So I doubt there's anything specific from a law standpoint. Anything else, you know, you don't want to be fishing out the brooding stock of, of any fish that you're fishing. So you, you want to be careful about doing that. Certainly chubs on a mound would be an easy target. And I, I don't know if that would be, you know, considered quote unquote fair. Although I do know there's a couple of places in middle Georgia where they, they do have a, they call the, the horny head festival 
that they they have a bluehead chub fishing tournament every spring down in Georgia. Oh. And they actually uh, have people fish for chubs and they they bring them back. So, you know, it's it's sort of like catch it and bring it back alive type thing. And sort of just like at Bass Pro, you've got a weigh-in or everything. But for instead of a weigh-in, what they do when they when they when they bring them in, they just bring them in and and look for tubercles on the on the bluehead chub. Oh my gosh. They give prizes for the biggest <laughs> fish or the most tubercles or the this or the that, whatever. They gotta score it like a white tail. There are there <laughs> are fishing, there are fish tournaments for bluehead chubs. But no, I do think most of the micro fishers would probably be rather agitated by bluehead chubs. They're they're aggressive feeders. Uh, they probably eat your bait before you can get it to anything else. If you mm. a situation where there's a bunch of bluehead chubs, you might not be able to catch anything else. I, I've had a lot of fun catching bluehead chubs. They'll hit spinners. They'll hit inline spinners that you're pulling through the oh. water. My buddy has what he calls a chub grub. It's essentially like a little piece of like rubber worm on a hook that you kind of bounce through, sort of like a miniature Carolina rig. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's super fun. Uh, I will say I did feel bad I, I for that aforementioned video that I was making. I had to try and catch a male off a mound so that I could put it in an aquarium and get videos and stuff. And I felt kind of bad about that. But for the most part, catch them out in the wild, you know, catch a ton of them. They're pretty fun. And they do strike. My funniest uh, chub story on a hook and line was I, I was I was at a place and we were actually not going after bluehead chub. We were looking for other fish that were in the stream. This was in North Carolina. I think I was with my dad, actually, and we were uh, we were seining in an area of the stream. And there, when we had come up on the stream, there was a family and they were having a little picnic and it was a dad and a mom and two little, little girls, I think like little kids, like three-year-olds. So we were over here saying, and all of a sudden they began screaming just, I mean, like they were terrified of something. And um, so I pulled my head up and looked and we were probably 30, 40 yards away from them. We were trying not to, you know, uh, impact their fun in the stream, fun in the stream. But I was curious and they're like, oh my gosh. And we'd sort of introduced ourselves. We walked up and said, we were just going to fish down here. We were interested in seeing what species were in the stream or whatever. So the three-year-old on a, I don't know, they're only about two and a half foot long Barbie fishing pole had reeled in like a nine inch bluehead chub, bright blue head, tubercular horns everywhere. And her father was terrified. He thought he had seen something, you know, come out of uh, Chernobyl or something. What is this strange creature? There's no blue fish. Yeah, actually, dude, there's blue fish in this stream all, every spring. And so I got a chance at that point in time to do a little, do a little outreach, do a little communication, nice. talk a little bit about bluehead chubs and tell him that, no, this fish in the stream was probably responsible for all the other fish in the stream. Awesome. Wow. In my opinion... There is no better group of fishes out there than the Nokomis chubs to bring people who are not interested in, in fish at all and, and get them interested in fish. I had a similar experience. I was up fishing in uh, the Tacoa River. And it wasn't blueheads, but it was river chubs sure. and had a similar experience. Unfortunately, I didn't have a tubercled male there, but talking to, to just people on the side about these fish and their nests. And, you know, it, it really is a great way to engage people, I think. So we're, we're talking about these males that have the big blue head and the tubercles. I, I don't think the females look the same way, do they? How, how do the females look? How would someone know that they caught a blue head chub if it doesn't have a blue head? It's a little bit difficult, right? So the females, the, the body shape is, is somewhat similar. Females are typically a lot smaller. I've seen places, again, when I see a big eight or nine inch or 10 inch long blue head chub males that have built these massive nests, 
it's still the females uh, surfing around behind the chub nest are really only little five, six inch fish. They have the same brassy coloration. They have the same orange highlighted fins. They have not quite the same head shape. Their heads are a little more streamlined. They don't get quite as puffed up and they don't get tubercules. You're right about that. They don't. Um, so they're a little bit harder to identify unless you're looking at those other characteristics. You don't identify female bluehead chubs by the blue head. You identify them by knowing fin placement, fin coloration sometimes, that pattern of, uh, of the brassy fins on the back of the fish and the lateral line that goes along the side. I don't exactly know how to describe it, Guy. It's a thing that, you know, I've looked at enough bluehead chubs. It's like I know one when I see one. Yeah. And they don't have a black spot on the base of the dorsal fin. <laughs> no, right. Well, no, that, absolutely. That black or, or orange spot at the, at the front of the base of the dorsal fin, that's a creek chub. There's other things about them that, that differentiate them from creek chubs, too, if you're really into looking at things. Uh, creek chubs have uh, sort of a different scale pattern across the, the area in front of the dorsal fin. Their scales get a little bit crowded and are somewhat smaller, whereas the chub scales are a little more uniform across the back. There was a NANFA convention in Georgia, not in the all-too-distant past, where you designed what has sort of become a famous shirt. You were telling me you were very proud that the bluehead chub that you displayed right next to the peach on Georgia was an Athens bluehead chub, and that you could distinguish it from the other sort of different populations of blueheads. And I was curious, what makes the Athens one special and distinct, and what other ones are there, and how can you distinguish among them? Yeah, so I don't I don't know all the names. Most of these are are actually undescribed or or uh, unrecognized subspecies, right? So there's a paper out there that I I had a copy of not too long ago that had a variety of different chubs. And what's been noticed across the range of bluehead chubs, even, is that there seems to be a difference in placement of tubercules. So when the males go into spawning condition, there are bluehead chubs that have different placement and different numbers of tubercules on their head. And that seems to follow sort of range specific. So those bluehead chubs that are in Georgia, in the Athens area, more appropriately, maybe it's in the Okmulgee Oconee, the greater Altima uh, River drainage, and some that are also in the Chattahoochee drainage in the northern part of the Chattahoochee. That group in particular seems to have a particular pattern of tubercules on their head where it's really only about eight tubercules that they get. And there's almost like an arch of four over each eye. Uh, one that's right almost in front of the eye, one that's behind the eye, and then two that are more on the center uh, above the eye on the top of the head, so to speak. And that pattern identifies that particular subspecies. Again, I don't think all of these subspecies are necessarily formally agreed upon. There's a couple different scientific papers out there that I've seen breaking down different Nokoma species and specifically even, you know, the splitters and the lumpers are out there, but splitting out the different uh, subspecies maybe of bluehead chub. Do you have any final messages for folks about native fishes in North America or kind of these, you know, chubs in general, I guess? What would you say to someone just to really kind of tie it all together, get interested in these fish? Sure. Well, I'll plug NANFA for that. You know, the reality is, is there's a lot of people out there. Um, Audubon Society does their bird thing and there's Bass Pro and Trout Unlimited. And there's all these other things for game fishes that people pay attention to. But not so many people pay attention always to the non-game species and maybe some of the smaller species in the stream. And they're just as important. In fact, I've argued today and you've already heard me say from a importance to the river habitat, 
maybe more important that we have bluehead chubs in the stream than any other fish because they are changing the habitat, modifying it. Other species have to have a bluehead chub mound or else they just don't spawn. So I would tell people that's what NANFA really is all about. It's about supporting those small non-game fishes. Uh, we stay away from a lot of the game fish stuff. Like I said, there's other people who care about that more than anything else. NANFA is all about what we can do, as I mentioned before, to appreciate, study, and conserve those non-game fishes. We have a number of grants that we award each year, small $1,000 grants that normally go to teachers, small community nature centers, and things like that, or to students that are doing work on either conservation or education about our native fish. It's been a pleasure having you today. That's amazing information about this really cool fish. So thank you. Absolutely. I enjoyed being here and always good to talk about bluehead chubs. Okay. Remember, there's plenty of fish in the sea, but there's only one bluehead chub. So get out there and enjoy that fish. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebick and my co-host is Guy Eero. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar, produced and story edited by Charlotte Moore Lambert, production management by Gabriella Montaquin, post-production by Alex Brower. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region Office of External Affairs. We honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individual tribes, states, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish. <laughs>